I'm going to ask again that you take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. Those are the verses that we're going to look at this morning. The message I've titled, Nuts and Bolts, Gospel of Jesus, Galatians chapter 4. You know, I believe we all wish at times that we would have a rich uncle or aunt. I was going to say like a millionaire, but that doesn't count anymore. Like a billionaire. Wouldn't it be great to have an aunt or an uncle who's a billionaire and considers you so special that in their will, they're going to leave you everything? Oh, wouldn't that be great to have one, uh, an aunt or an uncle like that? Our passage this morning begins with an illustration, a metaphor. The illustration that Paul uses to a degree was common to the Roman world. The illustration is of a child who will one day inherit the family fortune. But until that day, the child is at boarding school. The child is under the care of trustees. The child is guided by a nanny. Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. And I'm just going to read the first three verses. It says, What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. In Paul's day, this would be a picture of a child who belongs to a wealthy household. He's being groomed or they are being groomed to take over the family business, the family name. And so they know that one day they will inherit this vast money, business, family name. But at the moment, they're treated like a slave. Till the will takes effect, this child is, is just, well, basically a slave. Obedience is the most important thing. And, and freedom is at the discretion of those who are in charge. All decisions need to be approved by those that are in charge. And the outcomes are again connected to those that are in charge. But all this changes the moment the child reaches the age set by the father. Then the child will inherit the family business. Everything changes. They move from a slave to now an individual who is the owner of it all. The illustration may be a perfect picture of each one of us. And that's what Paul wants us to grasp. It may be the perfect picture of everyone on planet Earth. We enter this world born of human descent. The sin nature of Adam is a part of the heart of each one of us. Yet we were, yet we were created with eternal possibilities or potential. Romans 3, 23 states, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's how we enter this world. 
We're born into slavery, slaves to sin. Yet at the same time, we carry this potential of royalty. John 8, 34 to 36, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So here we are, slaves to sin. However, there's a possibility. There's potential. Romans 6, verses 15 to 18, says it as follows. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. We are all slaves. We all were slaves. Either slaves to sin or we could say, as Paul says in Romans, slaves to righteousness. The slavery that we are under before we come to know Christ is, is sin. And Paul refers to this in verse 3 of Galatians chapter 4. Paul says, slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. I've got it underlined for you on the screen behind me. An interesting phrase, slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. Remember, we're born into sin. We're born into a sinful world. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 12 is a picture of that slavery that we are under. And it's put into perspective for us in those verses. So Ephesians 6 verses 10 to 12 says, Finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on, on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. This is the world that we live in. When we come to know Christ, we're set free from being slaves to sin. We now are children of God, but we are still living in this world world put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes for our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms you see, behind those elemental spiritual forces of the world that Paul is talking about are fallen angels. Paul is talking about the spiritual battle and the law of Moses in a way falls underneath that spiritual battle also. The elemental spiritual forces of the world, an all-encompassing term. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. 
Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's the world we live in. And the principalities, the powers are the fallen angels. The child in Paul's example comes to age and he's able to step out from under slavery, out from under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. And that same truth is possible for each one of us and many of us have taken that step of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul guides, God guides Paul in using the phrase El elemental spiritual forces of the world. It's a strange phrase, but Paul uses it a number of times, not just here. Stoichia, the word, the, the, the original word there is, is an interesting word, and the best way to sum up the world is to say, word is to say the ABCs of the world. You are under the ABCs of the world. Colossians 2.8 uses that phrase again. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. The demonic powers behind us the things of this world. Author and pastor Chuck Swindle, he says the following. He says, while we were unsaved and condemned by the law, we were in bondage to vain philosophies, man-made codes of ethics, legalistic interpretations of the law, and demon-inspired religions that brought nothing but hopelessness and despair. That's the elemental things of this world. But now let's take a look at the last verses because it changes. Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7. But, that word but, it's kind of like a hinge. Everything spins all of a sudden. But, but when the time, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoptions to sonship because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. When God's set time came. It was the right time. There's a lot of speculation over this phrase in reference to time. The set time had fully come. What does that mean? What is the set time? Why? Why was that set time right 2,000 years ago? You might ask the question, if Jesus is so important for salvation, why did he wait so long to come? People ask that question. There's a lot of speculation in reference to this. 
before we look at some of that speculation, what we need to do is trust that in God's economy and for our best, Jesus came at the right time. And I don't know in that why it was the right time. Romans verse, chapter 5, verse 6 uses that same phrase. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. What made it the right time? A lot of speculation. Was it because of the political climate? The Roman Empire was the world power at that time. Is it because the Roman Empire there was, was the world power, kind of one world power, and of the road network that they put in place and the communication network they had? Is that why it was the right time? Was it the right time because the Jewish people were in rebellion against this one world power and they were looking so desperately for a Messiah? Is that why it was the right time? Was it the right time because of the desperation of humanity? Because of the depravity of humanity? I don't know. But it was the right time. But there's another piece to it. When you accept Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, it is also the right time. Looking again at our scripture passage, we see that word redeemed redeemed what does that mean redeemed means to buy back and then there's the word might redeem those under the law that might receive adoption to sonship that might is connected to a choice it's not the concept of doubt you see when we accept christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we are redeemed, we're purchased back. We receive adoption to sonship. The choice is ours. And when it happens, it will be the right time. Why do I say that? Because some of you are praying for family members and you're wondering, will they come to know Christ? Your heart is aching for them. And I'm going to respond back to you and I'm going to say, keep praying. Because the time will come. God is at work. The right time. What does that mean? Each one of you encountered Jesus at the right time. Because when you encountered Jesus, you made the choice to follow him. When we encounter Jesus, our scripture text tells us we receive the Holy Spirit. There's an exchange, we could say, in some ways that takes place. We accept Jesus. He's at the right hand of the Father. Our sins are redeemed. We're purchased by our sins. Are, are, are made, we are made righteous. We are redeemed. We are purchased back into the family of God. And we receive the Holy Spirit. A number of different things that are taking place. And as we receive from our hearts, there's this cry that comes out. And we realize now that we are part of the family that we were destined to be. We're part of the family of God. We were created to be part of this family. 
and we move back into right relationship and we realize God is our Heavenly Father and we cry out, Abba, Father. I like how this is expressed for us in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 17, where it says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. A term of endearment. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. In this act of salvation, we see the triune God at work. We see God the Father sending the Son to redeem us. God the Father sending the Holy Spirit to live in us. We see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God involved in our salvation. Maybe a picture that I can give you today comes from a, from a time in history. I came across this story and I thought this fits so well. On July 31st, 1831, on the island of Jamaica, a man named William Nibs, a Baptist missionary, gathered 10,000 slaves for a great praise gathering. There was an Emancipation Proclamation Act that took place they were celebrating this new Emancipation Proclamation that would abolish slavery on the island. What they had done, and uh, William Nibs was, of course, the person behind this. What they did was, was they built an immense coffin and into it were placed whips, branding irons, chains, fetters of all kinds, slave garments, all the things that represented the terrible slavery system that was now coming to a welcomed end in Jamaica. At the stroke of the midnight bell, Nib shouted out, the monster is dying. And at each stroke of the bell that followed this cry was repeated. At each stroke of the bell, the monster is dying, was shouted out. When the clock struck 12, the 12th stroke, 10,000 voices cried out, the monster is dead, the monster is dead, let us bury him. Then they screwed the coffin lid down and they lowered the coffin into a huge grave and they covered it up. That night, every heart rejoiced in Jamaica. 10,000 voices grew hoarse, shouting and crying with joy. Once they were in bondage to slavery, but now they were free. 
In the midst of this story and of all this rejoicing, there is a tragic side. While many rejoiced with their newfound liberty and freedom, there were some slaves that lived in remote areas on the island of Jamaica. They did not know that they had been set legally free. They did not know that. Their owners didn't tell them. The Emancipation Proclamation had been made law, but they continued to serve their masters. They were still slaves. Their masters had successfully kept the news from them as long as they could. By law, they were declared free, but they lived as slaves. And this is a picture of the world. Paul, God wants us to realize this. God wants us to realize that we have embraced freedom, but there's a world around us, there's family members. There's friends, there's a world around us that doesn't know. A world around us that has not embraced Christ. Jesus Christ has won the victory. He has issued an emancipation proclamation of liberty and freedom from sin to everyone. But as we see in these verses, that like some of the Jamaicans were today, some people are the same. They don't understand. And they're living as slaves when they don't have to. And so Paul says in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. The gospel message, the good news is this. Satan has been defeated. Sin's penalty has been paid. We no longer have to surrender to sin or be controlled by Satan. We can belong to Jesus and we can live to please God. We are now a child of God and we can enter the presence of God as his child at any time with any request. And we call out Abba Father or Our Father. And so in our scripture passage, God, through Paul, is telling us that there's this intimacy that can be a part of every one of our lives. This intimacy, a father-child relationship. And that we've been adopted into that family and we're co-heirs with Christ. All the blessings of eternity are there for us. I love how in the last verse, Paul himself shifts 
from the second person plural to the second person singular. And then the NIV even adds more to this. The NIV takes us from, we could say, the cultural norms of Paul's day and flips it around so that in our culture it'll even fit and make more sense. So Galatians 4, verses 6 to 7, it starts in verse 6 with the second person plural. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit, the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. And then we come to verse 7, where all of a sudden it changes to the second person singular. And the NIV does such a wonderful job in bringing that out and also how it flips in the area of culture. The original word in this text, it would still be son. But the NIV says, so you, and the finger's pointing at me, so you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you, you again, also an heir. Each one of us that has accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, we are no longer slaves. And so we don't have to act, behave in the fashion that we used to. We are now free to live as Christ wants us to live. We are his child. You are his child. In a moment's time, we're going to take part in communion. And what I want you this morning to do as you take part in communion is focus on that intimacy that you have with God, the Father. That intimacy that cries out, Abba, Father, dear Father, our Father, dear Dad. And it brings us to the realization of who we are in Christ Jesus. Worship team is going to lead us in singing a song as we prepare for communion. And I just want you to think about that intimacy. The song is how deep the Father's love for us. They're going to lead us in that.